0: Let's stand together and let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Colossians In chapter 3. Sunday morning we're studying a series in the book of Colossians entitled uh, Give Me Jesus and we find ourselves once again in chapter 3 verse 16. And just a reminder as we're finding our way there on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, uh, currently studying in the gospel according to Luke chapter 8, six o'clock this evening. Each of you are invited to be a part of that uh, study and worship the, of the Lord again this evening as well. Chapter uh, 3, verse 16. Paul writes by the Holy Spirit Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much, even as Pastor Jeremiah prayed, just for the privilege of of being here and being able to know you. We thank you for the tremendous sacrifice that you made and Jesus made in order for us to know you in the way that, that we do. And we thank you for your word that we get to turn to now and your voice to us, a voice that has... Uh, no peer no rival in all of the world and so we pray this morning that from your word you would speak to our heart and speak into our relationship with you and give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us today and we ask that in jesus name amen please be seated Some eight years after the birth of the church uh, in uh, Colossae, a very, very significant amount of false teaching began to arise within the church until until it reached such a degree that it was a dominant factor. The founder of that church uh, was a man by the name of Epaphras. And he had grown up in Colossae. He had probably been impacted by the ministry of the Apostle Paul in the city of Ephesus. And uh, he is so alarmed by the intrusion of this false doctrine that he makes the journey some uh, 1,000 to 1,200 miles by land uh, to the city of Rome where Paul is imprisoned in order that he might bring this problem to Paul to ask him, what in the world do I do here with what has happened to the church? And Paul's letter to the church in Colossae is... Paul's answer to this question, and to the church there regarding the false doctrine that has infiltrated it. And of course, it is uh, the Holy Spirit's answer uh, to this question. The first part of Paul's letter uh, to the church there concentrates on uh, the false teachers, uh, concentrates on uh, the false teaching that was going on there, And Paul addresses all of it uh, by means of exalting Christ and putting Christ up against anything that the false teachers were teaching and uh, showing that really the false teachers had nothing to add to the Savior nothing to add to the Christianity that his death burial and resurrection had brought uh, into existence in uh, human history And uh, and all they were simply doing was just marring and misrepresenting Christianity. And then in the second half uh, of this letter, the Apostle Paul then proceeded to instruct the church concerning what was kind of the itch that was underneath their um, vulnerability to the false teaching. And that was a desire to be... Uh, deeply spiritual, and the desire to be uh, 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 deeply mature uh, as a Christian, and, uh, and that all that they were longing for. Is, and, and he began to tell them where that maturity and that depth could be found, as opposed to what the false teachers were advocating in terms of human philosophy and legalism and asceticism and, and pseudo-mysticism. And in this vein, as we've already studied, the Apostle Paul And telling them where true spirituality is found, we've already seen that, uh, as he talked about, it is in possessing a love for one another as Christians, and then letting the Word of Christ dwell richly within us, as we saw last time. And this morning, we'll examine Paul's instruction here in the latter part of verse 16, concerning the place that worship is to play in our lives as Christians, in terms of our maturity, in terms of spiritual growth. I would like to take just a moment uh, in, in, uh, to talk about the punctuation uh, of verse 16. And you say, oh my goodness, who talks about punctuation in a verse on a Sunday morning message? Um, well, I'm going to do it this morning, and, uh, but only because some of you will uh, be at a loss. And as you read the verse and say, "Why, how, why in the world is he uh, breaking it up the way uh, that uh, that he is?" Because because there is no punctuation uh, in uh, in terms of the original language uh, of the New Testament, the Greek. So there's disagreement about how verse 16 should be punctuated. And so, as I just read out of the New King James, it's like every... the, the passage, that's, the, the part of it that speaks about the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly, it all just kind of merges into uh, worshiping in psalms and uh, in hymns and in spiritual songs. And, and it all kind of uh, bleeds together. And I'm going to follow the the lead of the New Living Translation, also the English Standard Version, and the NIV, and uh, dividing the verse uh, between the two subjects. For instance, the NIV puts it, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. New Living Translation puts it this way uh, and punctuates it accordingly. Uh, Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each uh, other with the wisdom that he gives, period sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to god with thankful hearts any way you want to handle it in terms of how it all merges together in the new king james or other translations kind of divided it really has no bearing at all upon the truth that paul is uh, bringing out in the passage and its application Uh, to us. Allow me also to begin with a word or two about the worship of God in general, since that's the subject that the Apostle Paul raises here. And and, uh, to begin, first of all, concerning what worship is and how uh, God uh, views our worship. Uh, To worship is to ascribe worth to someone or to ascribe worth to something. Our English word, worship, comes from an old English word uh, that means uh, worth-ship. And when we worship God, we do so because we recognize that He is worthy of our uh, worship. In the New Testament, the Greek word that is translated most often for worship Uh, there is the Greek word proskuneo. And uh, proskuneo is made up of two Greek words, pros meaning toward and kineo, which means to kiss. And as a result, to worship God literally means to lean toward Him, to kiss Him. And in other words, it is the means that God has given us by which we can express our love toward Him and our affection uh, toward Him. It is interesting to realize that Christianity, we kind of take it for granted, but Christianity is a singing religion. Uh, the, uh, The expression of the worship of the lord in the old testament by the jews Uh, judaism is a singing religion but christianity is a singing religion and not all religions are uh, singing uh, religions and i think it's a singing religion for the very simple reason that because as we come to know god As we come to know His grace, as we come to know His love, His righteousness, His uh, holiness, His wisdom, and and so forth, not only as we read about it in the Bible, but as He takes these things that we come to know about Him in the Bible, and we realize that He is utterly faithful to make those things a part of our lives as well. They become a part of our relationship with Him, our experience. Uh, with him that what it does is it produces a gratitude within us uh, toward him and a need within us to praise Him, a need to ascribe uh, worth to Him that God knew would be produced within our hearts. He knew that to come to know the God of the Bible as He's revealed to us in the Word of God would necessitate in us an absolute need to then express our thanksgiving and our worship in song Uh, to him and we worship him generally for two great reasons we worship him for who he is and what he is we worship him for his nature And then we worship him second of all for all of the things that he does, whether the things that he does in a a worldwide vein or that he does among his people as a whole or what he does in our lives uh, individually. And the things that we worship Him for individually as it relates to our lives as Christians. We praise Him for our salvation, for providing us with a living hope. We praise Him for answered prayer. We praise Him for the peace that He gives us. We praise Him for His goodness, His kindness, His faithfulness, that He loads us daily with His benefits and so forth. And when a person is blessed by God in the way that a Christian is blessed by God, then we will have a need to praise Him. We will have a need to thank Him and to, uh, we count it, a privilege uh, to do so. It is important to notice, as Paul lays it out here in verse 16, the relationship between worship and the Word of God dwelling in us richly. And the order with which Paul presents these two things here is not accidental at all. You notice that he begins the verse instructing us concerning the Word of God first. And only then does he proceed to instruct us related to uh, worship. And why does he do that? Because it is through the Word of God that we learn what God is truly like, which then produces within us a need to worship Him. Without the Word of God, we wouldn't know who we were worshiping. Uh, We wouldn't know what He's like we would just be singing songs without any basis in uh, reality and and we would not be able to worship him as jesus called us to worship him in spirit and in truth and what paul is declaring to us simply here is that our worship experience is a byproduct of the word of god it is a byproduct of the Word of God dwelling in us richly. Very often concerning a church service, and probably anywhere that you would go in the United States, and probably anywhere in the world where Christians are assembling together to worship the Lord today, uh, the service would probably fall, follow uh, kind of the order that we have. That there would be the worship in song that would occur first, and then that would then be followed by the worship of God in the study uh, of his. Uh, word, and very often we speak about the worship in song preparing us uh, for the study of the Word of God as the explanation for this particular order uh, of a church service, and all and the worship of the Lord in song before we turn to the Word of God, it absolutely prepares us uh, for the teaching of the Word. But it is equally true that the Word of God prepares us for worship. Again, it is only as we know God through His Word that we will experience a need within our life to then worship Him in song. And when we study the Word of God in this church and when it's studied in any church, And and as we study the Bible at church, it isn't that we do so independent of worship. It is preparing us for a deeper worship experience with God. And so when the worship team leads us in a, a song about God's love, Or he leads us, uh, they lead us in a song of God's forgiveness, or a song about his goodness, or his righteousness, or his holiness, or of Jesus' resurrection and his return, and so forth. Or he's, even as we've sung this morning, where he's spoken of as the Lion of Judah, who is worthy, who is able to break the, uh, the seal. We sing uh, uh, about all of these things in spirit and in truth because we know the reality and the depth and the beauty, and we understand what all of these things mean from his word. And so never ever view the study of god's word and the worship of god in song as two very separate things they are completely interwoven with one another Uh, it takes both to produce a mature uh, christian and a full uh, christian life they are inter complementary toward one another sometimes you'll hear uh, people say, "Well, I, I wish we could spend all of our time worshiping uh, in song and not so much time in the Bible, or vice versa." Believe it or not, there are people who say, "I wish we'd spend more time in the Word and and uh, uh, and, and 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 not as much time in the worship in song." But to hold either of those views is a failure to understand. The interconnectedness of both, uh, that, uh, the, and the necessity of, of both of them, we could not worship God as we do without the Word of God dwelling in us richly. The one follows the other, and this is why it is a great mistake in any church. Uh, or or in any individual Christian life, to move away uh, from solid, uh, dwell-in-you-richly Bible teaching. Because not only does it adversely affect a a Christian's knowledge of the Word of God, and thus God himself but it will also adversely affect uh, their capacity to worship God. You simply cannot worship uh, in spirit and in truth. You cannot worship someone truly that you do not uh, know and that you do not know well and we come to know God and we come to know him well by his word and inevitably, worship and song becomes uh, if you neglect the teaching of the Word of God, because you don't view it, uh, it, it, it because we don't view its relationship properly with worship and song, then inevitably what you do is you will produce a congregation. Uh, who is now engaged in the song part of the service, not in a spiritual experience between them and God, but in a solely, uh, a soulish or a purely emotional uh, experience. Notice uh, Paul tells us that we are to worship God with grace in our hearts. In other words, we worship God in response to the grace that he has shown us in our lives. And it's an amazing grace. His grace is so multifaceted. The Bible says that when we are in heaven, it's going to take all of eternity for us to scratch the surface of the understanding of and the experience of God's grace. It is a limitless uh, source uh, for worship and reason for worship. Uh, within our lives. And grace, of course, it speaks of unmerited favor, the undeserved blessing and favor that God pours out upon our lives, not by works, not by earning, but because of who He is, how loving, how good, uh, good He is. And so we worship Him out of an awareness of God's grace in our lives, of how good He has been to us, beyond what any of us deserve. And we know it to be true. Sometimes you run into a Christian and, and you say, how are you doing? Oh, better than I deserve. Yes, I already know that. But beyond that, how are you doing? We all know that uh, we're doing better than what we deserve. I'm not putting it down. I think it's a great answer, by the way. It just reminds us of the grace That God pours out upon us. We are doing better than we deserve on a daily basis of Christian, as a Christian, because of God's grace. And uh, again, encapsulating our salvation, uh, thanksgiving and praise for our Savior, for God's forgiveness, for His love, His faithfulness, His truth, His holiness, His righteousness, the confidence of heaven that is ours, for the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And do you think about just the five or six songs that the worship team let us in, worship songs, that we could uh, honor God and praise Him and worship Him uh, here today. And just in those songs alone, uh, and this is just enough to prime the pump, uh, we praised Jesus as the lion and the lamb. And we praised him for his power and his love in our salvation in our Christian lives. We praised God this morning as the everlasting God who is our hope and our deliverer who gives us strength. We praised him for his grace in our lives. We praised him for his goodness to us, for his sovereignty, that he's still in control, that he's worthy of our worship, whatever the condition of the world around us, and that he will never let us go. So much to praise the Lord for, and the songs that the worship Team leads us in our songs that are filled with God, filled with uh, reminders of His grace that we want to say uh, thank you for. Sometimes when we're uh, looking and Uh, for new songs that the Lord might want to use within the fellowship. One of the things that uh, will cause a song to uh, quickly exit any kind of consideration is if the song is filled with I and me and my as the worshiper. If it turns me back to myself, if it is something that is pretending to be the worship of God and all the while it is all about me, that goes into the uh, circuit particular file because, again, uh, we haven't come to worship ourselves. We've come to worship the Lord. We do not enjoy the life that we enjoy because of ourselves. We lo- the life that we live today in the grace of God is despite ourselves. So the songs are full of God and filled with all kinds of different things to praise the Lord for. And these worship leaders that God raises up all around the world, to write new worship songs. Again, they have an endless source of, uh, of inspiration for writing the songs and bringing God forth in His nature and His greatness and, and in His, His grace. When Paul tells us that here that we are uh, uh, to uh, singing with grace, he tells us also, in your hearts to the Lord. And when he talks about in our hearts, this speaks to the fact that we're not merely singing songs with our voices alone, but that the songs that we sing to God are to be connected to a heart reality within us and uh, in order that we would not fall prey to the very thing that the Jewish religious leaders did in Jesus' day, and every one of us can fall prey to the very same thing. When Jesus warned them and he said, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And it's the tendency. I hope uh, I don't hope, but I assume that I'm not alone in having this experience where we come together to worship the Lord. i got all kinds of things on my mind, the week behind me, the week in front of me, the crises that might be all around me, you too. And I find myself in uh, song uh, two or three before I realize I'm just mouthing the words. I'm not connected at all with what I'm saying to God here. And the Holy Spirit gives me one of these knocks. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And he gives me a knock on my heart and says, listen uh, to what you're saying and let it come out of the reality of, of your heart, because that's the only way it's meaningful. Uh, to him. I mean, if our children, and we are children of God, if our children say something and it's merely lip service and has no reality in our heart, what pleasure does that uh, bring to us? None at all. And so, uh, the, what is coming out of our mouths needs to be uh, the expression of an engaged heart as well. You notice, too, that he tells us that our Worship is to be uh, directed to uh, the Lord. Now, you might look at that and just think, you know, Paul has a, a very firm grasp on the obvious. I mean, why does he even think that this is worth mentioning it all? That our, our worship is to be directed to the Lord. But it is very, very important point and not only was it important two thousand years ago but it is very important for us as christians in the united states of america because we live in such a self-consumed self-dominated uh culture and and this reminder that our worship is to be directed to the lord is a needed reminder our worship directed toward the Lord is supremely for His blessing, and it is not supremely for our blessing. Now, He will bless us simply because when we worship the Lord, We are engaged in the very thing that we have been created for as human beings. We were created to know God, and we were created to worship God. And so, of course, as we do the thing that we've been created for, there is going to be a great blessing in our lives as as we do that. Uh, As the Westminster Shorter uh, Confession puts it uh, absolutely perfectly, it poses the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And the reason that telling us here that our worship is to be directed to the Lord is important is for the simple fact of the matter is that we can get this thing completely backwards and begin to think that God has given us the privilege of worship uh, supremely to bless me or to bless us. And we are uh, capable of becoming so self-centered that we begin to uh, sing worship songs without any thought to how they bless God, but only with how they make me feel. And so we leave a worship service uh, like today. And as we're making our way across the courtyard or the fellowship hall or out to our car, and uh, somebody asked us, how was the worship today? Oh, the worship was great uh, this morning. And you ask them, why? Uh, And they say, oh, I liked all of the songs. Uh, It made me feel really good uh, this morning. Or sometimes uh, people will say, you know, I didn't really care for the worship uh, this morning. Why? Well, I didn't really care for most of the songs. And, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, And then somebody might pose the question, but yes, but how do you suppose God liked them? Oh, well, that never entered my mind that this was for God or that, it, that this was uh, 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 about God. And if you don't know that this is a dominant problem uh, in lives individually and in congregations, then uh, you need to know that and, and uh, supremely for our own heart and keeping it properly focused. I think additionally, it's good for us to realize that God is worthy of our praise uh, no matter how we might be feeling, uh, or what our circumstances might be, or what mood we might find ourselves in on any given day that we come into a a worship song. Or even if a particular worship song isn't quite uh, our cup of tea. And I like how uh, the uh, language uh, uh, of the writer of the book of Hebrews, he uses in, in order to make this very point. He wrote it in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. He said, there, therefore, by him, speaking of the Lord, let us continually offer, and then here it is, the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, time uh, flies by, but Pastor Don McClure was here teaching. And he, uh, in the morning, and he entered into that realm of of worship in his Bible study. And he spoke of the fact that all offerings in the Bible, they all required sacrifice. And you had to have the fire, you had to have the wood, but you also had to have the sacrifice. And how it is today as he mentioned, that so much emphasis is placed upon the wood, it is placed upon the fire, but not upon the sacrifice. But the fire and the wood are only the means by which the sacrifice is offered. There is no worship without a sacrifice on our part being offered in that worship. And thus, in our worship of God, there has to be sacrifice where something of ourselves dies in order to offer that song and that worship and that praise and thanksgiving to God something of our selfishness, something of our pride, something of our self-absorption, something of our carnality, or of our doubt, or of our unbelief. But something gets sacrificed as we worship the Lord. And we worship Him simply because He is worthy of our worship and worthy of it all of the time and the church and really any assembling of god's people god is to be the single great attraction of the service he is to be the center attraction uh, of the service as god prophesied through the prophet isaiah he said in isaiah 42 verse 8 I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. And that's why the worship team just comes out and they point us to God. And because this is all about God. Uh, when the Bible teacher comes up to teach, there is a, a pointing uh, people to God. I don't tell you what I was thinking in the shower this morning, or what happened to me during the week, or what are my newest interests in life. This isn't about me. This is, whole place is a, a place that is set aside unto God. Jesus declared in John 4, that the hour is coming and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so praying as we do before uh, as pastors and the worship team before we come out to lead the service there is almost always the same prayer lord we go out now to glorify you to point people uh, to you we pray that these entire grounds of this church would be unlike Everything else in the world, and that it is given to you, and it is uh, 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 about you and uh, and that is the desire and in order that we might worship uh, God, and this would be a place where he is uh, worship. the apostle then finally spoke of the different forms that our worship. Uh, is, is in song can take he talks about psalms, he talks about hymns, he talks about spiritual uh, songs and, and you can 't really take these th- these three things that he talks about and divide them kind of absolutely and, and dogmatically. They all bleed into one another a little bit. But they are three general categories of songs that existed in the early church, and Paul recognized them to be three different kind of worship songs that are offered to God and, and identified as such that he was able to encapsulate them in these three uh, words or phrases. When he talks about psalms, he's probably mentioning the psalms of the Old Testament, and the psalms of David, the psalms of Asaph and others, uh, put to song. And uh, I remember certainly in the last revival in the United States of America, the Jesus Movement, uh, many, many of the songs that were being written at that time were simply lifting sections of the Psalms out and then turning them into worship songs. And uh, worship uh, leaders and songwriters, worship writers are doing the same thing even uh, uh, today. He mentions hymns and in Paul's day, the Greek word that's used for uh hymns here uh, was uh, he uses spoke of songs or odes that were written in praise of the celebration of the gods or of uh, heroes of the culture or of conquerors and paul just simply sanctifies the term and uh, turns it back uh, to the lord and he's using it to refer to songs that speak of God's greatness, that speak to his great attributes. And uh, uh, if that's so, then this would refer today to what we call uh, the hymns. Uh, the hymns in, in, in general, I think, uh, sometime in, uh, when the Jesus movement was breaking out, I will say in most circles that I was in the the hymns they got left in the dust; they just got buried as some kind of an obsolete thing that we didn 't need anymore in light of all the new choruses that were being uh, being written and It took a little while for people to come back and uh, humbled a little bit and come back to appreciate what the hymns do and what hymns uniquely do in the life uh, of a christian and One of the great strengths of the hymns is the depth of their content. And maybe with so many young people were getting saved, or new Christians, I should say, getting saved in the Jesus movement, maybe there was such a, a lack of depth in our own Christian lives that we lacked an appreciation for the hymns. But one of the strengths of the hymns is, that, is their content, which speaks of the greatness of God and of His nature. It is interesting concerning the hymns. It isn't always true of them, but it is often true uh, of the hymns that in general they are written and they are written as odes. They are written... Uh, about God and written more about God uh, than written to God. And so you have a mighty fortress is our God, amazing grace, uh, uh, it is well with my soul, blessed assurance, all hail the power of Jesus. Uh, name. And so there is this thing where we are singing about the greatness of God, and we're singing it as unto him, but we're being reminded of it, and it produces its own depth of worship within, within our lives. And uh, they put a lot of theology in there, uh, in in, in uh, to song in the early church. He then mentions spiritual songs uh, that are being sung to God. And I'm inclined to believe that these include songs that are a little less formal than the psalms or uh, the hymns and uh, uh, comparable to uh, more modern songs that are worship choruses. It doesn't mean that the worship songs that we sing today contain less depth, or less truth, Uh, but one of the things you'll notice about worship courses that have been written in the last 30 years since the Jesus movement started, that overwhelmingly those songs are written uh, and they allow us to speak to God. The hymns, very much about God, But the choruses became important in modern Christianity and that they uh, spoke about things we had in our hearts as Christians that we wanted to speak to God. And these choruses put into song uh, those things so that we could uh, express the the intimacy uh, that we felt toward God and speak to God directly in worship. And so whatever the, the differences is between these three categories, one thing we do know that, the Paul, that Paul is making here is that uh, the songs that are, are sung in a church or by Christians in this setting, they are to be spiritual as opposed to secular and they are to be uh, biblically sound. In other words, the writer of a hymn or the writer of a chorus has no more right to write an unbiblical song than a preacher has to preach an unbiblical sermon. The standard is still the same. Both things are intended to uh, make God known and to exalt God, and you can never do that with air. And additionally, a worship leader has no more right to lead a congregation in, uh, in singing an unbiblical song than a pastor has to teach an unbiblical. Uh, sermon, and so here he's speaking about the fact that whatever it is that we sing to the Lord, it's to be biblical, and it is to honor and it is to uh, bless Him. And I will say that uh, 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 is is a reflection of my own heart, and I know uh, yours as well. I am so thankful for all of the men and women that God has given. skill and ability in in leading worship on the Sunday mornings, the Sunday evenings, all through the week, who understand these things about worship and allow us to experience the worship experience uh, and uh, allow us to express our heart to God week in and week out uh, the way that uh, that we do and so here Paul so much here in verse 16 as he speaks to us in terms of not only for the Christians seeking spiritual depth and speak uh, seeking to grow uh, into maturity as a Christian not only the place of the Word of God and not only the place of worship but also even as it's put in the New King James where both subjects kind of just all uh, merge into one another, the interconnectedness of them, the necessity of both of them for us to enjoy what it is that we enjoy uh, with the Lord, both in and through his word and then in the worship of God uh, in song. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this instruction and that you didn't leave this area of the Christian life to be undefined. And Lord, I I would confess that I would, and I suspect most of us would, make a complete mess out of worship. We would misdirect it, it. We would ruin it. We would never bring a congregation uh, into experiencing what you have given worship to us to be able to experience without this kind of instruction in terms of what this is about. We thank you that we have you to worship. We thank you for all of your grace so much to respond to. We thank you that you inhabit our praises. And we thank you for the blessing that is ours as we do this single great thing that we have been created to do, and that is to worship you. And this single great thing that we will do forever and ever and ever in eternity. Thank you for the privilege of being able to express All that is in our hearts in some way of thanksgiving to you in worship. And thank you that you receive it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.